You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. There are many different types of parenting styles, and you've probably heard of most of them. Some styles, though, don't come from social judgments or media labels. Some styles have been defined as the best approach for kids through research, through actual scientific research. Attachment parenting may not be quite what you think it is. It's one of those styles that has been researched and found to be really good both for children and their parents. Rachel Bridge is a psychologist who specialises in attachment parenting. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm good, Sean. How are you? Now, I just mentioned there that styles are things that we kind of hear of in the media, like helicopter, lawnmower, attachment parent. Mm. I know when some people think of attachment parenting, in their mind, it's always baby wearing, always close sleeping, always feeding for as long as you, breastfeeding for as long as you can. Mm. What is your definition of attachment parenting as a psychologist? Mm. I definitely agree. And I think that's one of the biggest battles or barriers, I guess you could say, when we um, come to learning more about this style or approach or foundation of parenting called attachment parenting. Attachment parenting has been around for years and years, and it was developed really early on um, by researchers such as Bowlby um, or Ainsworth, who really developed or started to develop this understanding about the impact of child and parent relationship on the child's ongoing development and well-being. So when you mention those names, because mm. it actually didn't mean anything to me, but <laughs> are these people who, um, scientists or psychologists who would study mm. parents and children in situ, is that how they found their yes. research? Yeah. So Bowlby and Ainsworth are going kind of right back to when they first started developing this understanding um, or some theoretical ideas, I guess, about the impact of attachment or relationship with primary carer on the child's well-being. So they did um, different case studies around orphans, for example, who were getting all their base needs met, like sleep, feed, a little bit of play, dressed, cleanliness, and comparing those to children who were raised, say, in a what we would call a secure primary relationship where there's more responsiveness and meeting of those emotional needs um, and started to identify really significant differences in the developmental outcomes of those children. Can I ask something that yes. just from saying that, <laughs> that I, I think that maybe there's some confusion. I know that I probably get confused with it as mm. well. The idea of meeting a child's needs. Mm. So when we have a baby, mm. it starts from right day dot right so people will have a baby and the baby cries Mm. some people are motivated to pick up that baby straight away most people I would say are motivated to pick up the baby straight away and comfort Mm -hmm. them others might as the baby gets older decide they want to use a certain settling method that helps the baby self-settle which means they're not answering every cry Mm. but in that one example Mm. it already shows how parents can really struggle with understanding so what does it mean meeting their needs like Mm. do you have to meet every need and once that baby becomes a toddler Mm. and they're telling you that they're not eating the toast because you haven't cut it in the right way (laughs) 
<laughs> all the dresses all. in the wash. Oh, no. I can't wear anything except that dress. Um, where is the line in the sand between yeah. meeting emotional or a physical need yeah. and then meeting those needs too much? Yes, absolutely. And that, I think, is another common misconception of this idea of attachment parenting. It kind of comes with this connotation that we baby wear, co-sleep, breastfeed for a really, really long period of time or longer than most people would see as the norm. And that's kind of judged as okay or not okay. But another really common misconception is that attachment parents are kind of Yes, parents, I guess you could say, where the child takes the lead all of the time, um, boundaries are really loose, um, which is definitely not the case. I guess from an attachment parenting perspective, when we're talking about the science of attachment parenting, and that's what we're looking at when we talk our modern more recent definition of attachment parenting is that it is there's a science behind it. There's a neuroscience around developmental psychology at the moment and it's looking at actual changes in the brain when we have securely attached children versus not securely attached children. So defining the line in the sand and it's a question that I get asked a lot in therapy with parents when I'm working with parents to find a way to best support their children if their children are having difficulties and one thing we really encourage is boundaries because if children have a relationship with a primary caregiver where there's trust that that caregiver is going to be there through the difficult times, saying no or setting a boundary is actually what helps that child feel like the world is a safe, predictable place. But I guess from an attachment perspective, it's the way in which that is delivered. So the toast cutting example, (laughs) if we want to run with that, because we all know it's a familiar one. It's not about giving into, you know, cutting the toast into five different shapes so that the toddler will eat it. It's about connecting with the emotion that that toddler's experiencing. So it might be disappointment or frustration or anger that mum or dad hasn't got it quite right. So saying, you know, I can see you're really frustrated because mummy cut your toast into triangles instead of squares. I'm really sorry that you're frustrated. This is the toast that we've got this morning. Maybe tomorrow we can try something different. Can I ask with that? Because I I I appreciate the response, (laughs) uh, but... An example for me, um, Mm. real life example, because we can draw on those as parents. My five-year-old son, I got him a book and the book had a little Mm. toy skeleton attached to it. And I'm putting my hand up. I got that book because I knew that toy was attached because his sister Mm. got a similar book with something different. Yeah. Anyway, he was so disappointed that Mm. this wasn't what his sister had got. And he kept going on and on and on about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, my first reaction, which I didn't say, was... Oh, come on, dude. Pull your socks up. you got Absolutely. a gift. You get what you get. <laughs> yep. Even though that sentence does not make sense to anyone, yep. you get what you get. You don't get upset. <laughs> I had a kid in therapy say that to me the other day. <laughs> but of course you get upset, wrong. right? Absolutely. Yep. So anyway, so I tried that approach of saying, you, you know, I know you're disappointed mm-hmm. and, and followed that path. He didn't seem to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we have these responses and this acknowledgement of emotion, yeah. how do we know it's landing? Because often, mm. especially in our own homes, our children will always behave 
not as well as they might behave outside you know it's their safe place so they can be Mm. who they are in the moment without kind of having to worry or alter or shift because of the environment around them so absolutely and and you can say to them i understand you're disappointed and Mm. on some levels sometimes that works and they calm down Mm. and sometimes they just keep going yeah and it can feel like this approach isn't working. Mm. What's your response to that? I mean, how do you handle that situation mm. when you know you're acknowledging their emotions? Yeah. You know you have to keep the boundaries strong, yeah. but they continue with the tantrum or the disappointment or that whatever mm. that unpleasant emotion is they're feeling. Yeah. So that dynamic that you have just described is what, from a psychological or a research perspective, when we talk about attachment parenting, the role of the primary carer right from infancy is to help the infant, toddler, child manage the difficult emotion that's come up for them. And the term we use for that is co-regulation. Kids develop that capacity at all different stages and ages, depending on attachment for one, um, but lots of other genetics and developmental stuff, as well as, you know, the journey of life that they've lived Kids who are around the school age, I guess, or late toddler hit into school age, that difference is really quite heightened and their capacity to do so one day, you might think, oh, wow, they've got this, you know, they're really (laughs) stepping up and that's right. And the tool that I've used has worked great. And then the next day, it's just much trickier for them. In session, if that came up with a parent, I would really talk to the parent about staying present with the child and riding that emotion with them because it's showing them that I'm here for you, your emotions are accepted, this is a safe space to express those emotions. One thing we also know about the brain from a psychological point of view is when a child is in a very heightened state of emotion, so we're talking those really big tantrums where there's just no connecting, you know, you're saying things but it's just not conversing, so... That's what sometimes in therapy we call the red zone. And what we know about the brain in the red zone is that the part of the brain that we use to connect, communicate, process information, make sense of information actually shuts off. So it might be that they need to physically express emotion for a period of time and then once they come back down to a more regulated state, saying those things like, you know, gosh, I could see that you were really angry about that skeleton and that you didn't get the same as your sister. And I know that because and describing what you saw. Mm. And that's a much better space to be able to kind of talk with them and do some supporting and exploration around you know, next time you're that angry, what else could we do? You know, do you need a big squeeze from mummy? Do you need to stamp your feet? Do you need to yell into a pillow? And exploring it that way. I have heard about attachment parenting before and Mm. personally I I love the approach and I do my best to do it with my kids. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious how many parents you come across that are on Mm. the same page Mm -hmm. because often hear of parenting styles that are different and I can hand up put say that it happens in my house that my husband will look at me doing that Mm -hmm. and he'll be it's so soft Mm -hmm. you're not disciplining the kids you're not in his mind when he sees me do that yeah he 
thinks I'm doing the opposite of placing boundaries. Mm. So I'm curious because I've hear this all the time in my work about mm. the best approach to communicating and connecting with children. I'm just wondering what you see outside mm. in the community yeah. in terms of one, parents being on the same page, but two, the general community being on board with this. Because you mm. do, you know, you could be doing that in the supermarket and people will be walking past giving you dirty looks like you should just smack your child and get on with it. Yeah. What do you see in your practice in that regard? Absolutely what you've described. And I think, again, that's, as parents, that's one of our biggest struggles, especially when it comes to social media and media and, you know, being able to Google at 12 o'clock at night, my child's doing this, what do I do? And getting a thousand different recommendations or opinions or suggestions, filtering all of that stuff out and parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child is a really hard journey to walk um, and I guess a really, at times, difficult goalpost to reach. And I think another really big misconception around this idea of attachment parenting is that it's instinctive and we should get it right all the time because it is instinctive. And again, that's not the case because there's so many things that come into play that interrupt that innate need to care for a person that we've created or a person that we've chosen to care for. And that could be our own parenting upbringing. It could be, you know, our own life experiences or stresses, which in the modern day world we deal a lot with stresses. You know, life's busy. Um, and and our own stuff, right. <laughs> I see. It's one of those conversations. <laughs> That's right. But it, And also what we, our own stuff, when I say that, like thinking about what happened with my son and the skeleton, the first place I went to was, mm. God, I hope you're not so ungrateful to other people. Like I mm. hope I'm not, I'm, I, am I spoiling you that you're reacting this way? So it came back to me. Absolutely. And then I, I wonder if that's something that can interrupt the process of trying to apply attachment parenting absolutely yeah there's an attachment parenting framework um that's relatively well known i guess you could say called circle of security and one term that they use which lots of parents resonate with is this idea of shark music which is exactly that <laughs> moment that you described where it's like this you know feeling comes over you where something about you is really um impacting on the responses that you're giving in the moment and they might not be the ideal responses but they come from a place within you based on your own experiences ideals values and all of that kind of thing one of the really cool things about attachment parenting is it comes with this term good enough parenting and that refers to this idea that we don't have to get it right all of the time to still do a really good job and actually this idea of when we get it wrong in the moment if we're able to return to our children and explore that with them and model that even as big people sometimes we don't get it right all the time we're all human that in itself is a really powerful moment to promote secure attachment and to model to our children what being a thoughtful kind respectful adult might look like 
I love the good enough parent idea, and yeah. I think it's probably a good place to wrap up. So yeah. it gives us all <laughs> the permission right. to make feels. mistakes, some good feels. <laughs> yeah. But I do like the um, idea that attachment parent is not one without boundaries, mm. not one that has to be right all the time, and not and not to say there's anything wrong with co-sleeping, baby wearing, or mm. breastfeeding till your child is five. But yep. you also don't have to do that. In order to be attached to your child. Absolutely. Yeah, I love Absolutely. that. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Siobhan. It was a pleasure. That's Rachel Bridge. She's a psychologist who specialises in attachment parenting. If you'd like to learn more about Rachel, we'll put links to her website in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, Email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.